Welcome to the fourth episode of the Nice to Meet You podcast. This will be the last episode. I hope you've enjoyed these conversations, and I look forward to sharing other stories with you in the future by way of multimedia and writing. On this episode, I talk with Stephen and Megan Jones. I met them when I traveled to Haiti in 2017 for a short-term mission trip through the organization Go Be Love. Stephen and Megan were my team leaders on that trip, and they have come on the podcast today to share their heart on mission trips and why they are important. Here is my conversation with Stephen and Megan Jones. Tell me how your life has changed since COVID-19 has hit us. So probably since COVID has changed quite a bit with us. So um, I work for a pretty big company and we are doing shifts at work. And so they're trying to keep it at about 15% capacity. And so I just decided right now that I have all my stuff here set up. I'm working from home most days, um, which, you know, can be quite a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not the same environment. Um, it's definitely been a challenge, you know, and now that, um, they're pushing back the start of school, like in-person school in our district and like figuring out how are we going to teach the kids and how are we going to do all this on top of having jobs and, you know, definitely what every family in America is struggling with right now is how are we going to make this happen? And, and, uh, it's, it's been interesting. And I think, you know, I keep going back to makes me feel good that we're not the only ones that are going through this. Yeah. Everybody's going through this and we all have our own like COVID issues we're trying to deal with and figure out. And, um, it's been, it's been interesting. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's not a whole lot has changed as far as like work goes because I work in the hospital, um, but I work NICU. And so, um, it got really busy there for a while and then yeah. slowed down. Um, so that's been interesting, but, um, I don't know. There's been some, I feel like there's been some good things that, you know, it's made us spend more time as a family and like my two old, our two oldest, the boys having to learn to get along and be friends because they literally are the only people you get to hang out with. Like right. you have to make this person happy. You can't just, you know, be selfish. And so there's been a lot of learning moments. There's been some stressors and, um, you know, done with attitude and discipline. How do we do that when we're all stressed and we all don't want to be around each other? So, you know, how can we have separate time and yeah. a lot of navigating that, but it's also been so good for our family. I think just, I don't know, spending time together and realizing what is truly important and how to problem solve and yeah, but overall, we're ready for it to be over too. Yeah. We're ready to see people in person yes. at church yes. and in the community without I you know, know over our faces. Yeah. Is is your church still closed or is it opening up? So we're going to be closed. They actually sent an email out a couple of weeks ago that said they're going to postpone services indefinitely because we have such a big church. Um, that it's going to be hard to even try to organize how to keep it at capacity. And so as of right now, they have no date to when they think we'd get back together. Yeah. Uh, we're going to start pushing out things like home groups, doing church services in their own homes on Sunday with mm-hmm. some of the members and um, just trying to figure out how to make church feel like church. Right. You know, gathering together in different places. And um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's challenging. Having, I think the the children is like the hardest aspect because you want to listen to the sermon, but sometimes it's not as like exciting for a child to sit there and listen to. Yeah, sermon about something that you're, they're just like, what? Um, so you know, we've had to kind of play with that a little bit. But um, it, it's, I feel like our home group has gotten pretty close, which has been good. There's been a lot of like intentional time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been good, but yeah, we do miss the community meeting on Sundays. Right. Yeah, the community part is the hardest. Yeah. So I saw a while ago that obviously your Greece trip was postponed. Yes. So sad. So sad. I don't, I don't know if y'all, y'all might not have gotten this announcement, but Grace or Go Be Love is actually having had to shut down, like the actual organization. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that, but I mean, it kind of makes sense. 
it's just they they postpone our trip till next year anyways um and so we're like okay well we'll just pause on fundraising and we'll just keep our eyes you know like what can we do here until then and, um and then we got the message that they just couldn't move forward and you know that just means that there's other opportunities and yeah i see from there but definitely a bummer right any kind of travel company right now or a missions company that does short-term mission trips, I mean, their business pretty much just stopped. Yeah. So. And it's not even like they just chose, it's like countries closed. Yeah. Like we can't get out of this country pretty much, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crazy. So talking about mission trips, um, how has mission trips shaped your guys' life? That's probably kind of a hard question, but how do you feel that it has shaped your life? So I'll start. I probably have a little bit more to say about missions than Stephen does, although also I'm just more of a talker. But um, I, so I started missions when I was 14. Um, I got to go to Uganda with my brother and a couple of members from our church. And I just think um, that I'm so thankful that my parents had faith to let me go um, because it just opened my eyes to a whole new world, like literally a whole new world. Um, and I think it's just shaped the way that I see everything, like the lens that I see everything. Um, I mean, how I see money, how I see reaching out to people, how do I, how I see family, how, you know, it's just literally has shaped, um, who I am. Yeah. How I see sharing the gospel and just all of these things, um, because I was able to experience it at such a young age and realize wow, like there's so much more out there than my tiny little bubble that I see, you know, every day. Um, and so for me, like it literally has been life changing as corny or cliche as it sounds like it really has. And so I think specifically like short-term missions, you know, I think you, you get to see once you've done it a couple of times, you get to see how much impact you can really have on a little community in the span of a week or 10 days or something really just like in the resources that you can bring or the experience you can bring, like um, non-tangible things like events and crafts and stuff like that, you know, seeing how little things like that go a long way. Whereas, you know, like in, in America, kids would be like, oh, it's kind of dumb. You know, I can do this. I can go buy the stuff at the store. You right. Know? Um, but being able to like use your funds and, and bring really cool goods and stuff to a country that doesn't really have that kind of access, you know, it, takes, it makes you really appreciate being there on the ground and, and you know that they appreciate it. And so being able to see these little things uh, go a really long way in different countries kind of make you see, I guess your own life, like you were saying, your own life different, the, the things you do, uh, the things you invest your time and, and resources in, it really gives you a new perspective of that. Yeah. Whenever I've traveled overseas, the culture is so different than the culture that, you know, that we live in. I mean, I think probably any culture is different. So you have to kind of be more patient and kind of adapt and not complain and, you know, like adapt to that culture, not be offensive, not be rude and just kind of be more submissive and go with the flow. The first time I went on a mission trip, I was 25 and I went to Syria and the culture is very different than here. So you just have to really learn that one, you're with a team of people and you have to learn how to work together as a team because you're going to be there 24 seven together for 10 days or however long. So you, that you really have to kind of grow that. And two, the culture is just different and they have different ways of doing things. And, you know, in Syria, if you put your if you cross your legs and your bottom of your shoe is showing, that's offensive because it's dirty and they don't want to see the bottom of your shoe. So it's just, there's just different things, you know? So how have you guys traveling overseas or doing missions, how have you learned to adapt to the culture? I think in our first year that we went on um, together as a couple, um, when we had gone to Haiti, in preparation for that, uh, one of the leaders really explained how to pay attention to the locals, you know, and kind of do as the locals do. And so when you get into real unfamiliar situations or, you know, you kind of get freaked out sometimes, what are the locals doing? How are they responding to certain situations? Um, are we eating dinner? Like who's eating? Like how are we taking turns or are we waiting? Are we, you know, just really paying attention to um, your environment and seeing what everybody else is doing and really following suit until you get, you know, a day or two in, you can, 
start to pick it up and, and get a little more confident yeah. in, in what you have and what you're doing. Um, but yeah, so paying attention to the locals was always a really big uh, key point for, for me, I know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of like echo that as well, just kind of learning to go with the flow. And um, I think for me, especially, I like control and I like to know things that are going to happen. Right. And um, when you go there, you don't know. You think you have a plan. You think you have like, oh, we're going to do BTS and we'll do this. And things just happen. I mean, uh, when I don't remember if this was our trip, but I feel like it was when that roof burned down and we were like, oh, like we got to go build a roof now. Like it was just like something happened and it was like, oh, this is our, our, our opportunity to serve the community. Right. So let's do. Um, and I think uh, Kelly, who you had on your podcast just recently, mm-hmm. Um, she mentioned something that really stuck with me. Um, and it, it's just try it's made me see life in a little bit different perspective, I guess. Um, but actually she might not have said it. I think I just noticed it about her, but that she, the way that she is in Haiti with the people in Haiti, um, and with our agenda at first, it kind of was like, oh my goodness, like we are not following the schedule. If we're just stopping and talking to this person this person and then I was like oh my goodness I had this like light bulb that she is literally being Jesus to these people like when you read Jesus in the Bible he is stopping he has like a plan we're going to Samaria we're going to wherever um but someone comes up and they're like hey can you heal my son who's you know at my house and Jesus like let me stop and talk to you yeah and I think that that's sometimes especially in America, we just need to slow down and maybe we have an agenda, but there's something going on that God has placed right in front of us. So let's slow down, stop and like be Jesus in that moment to that person, you know? Yeah. And I something that has helped me is that over there, that's how, you know, they have time, but it's just different, you know, they, right. they, they stop and they're slower and they take their time doing things and over here. We're just like so regimented trying to get on our schedules, but right. it's fascinating and it's like comforting in a sense too. Just not to stress about it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point um, about Kelly. And because I've been going through the gospels, I'm only, I'm towards like the end of Matthew. So I just started, it's been about Jesus and people, you know, learning that he's the Messiah you know, like the beginning of the gospels and then the crowd starts following him and he's healing people and healing people. And he's always on his way somewhere, but people are stopping him. And I never really thought about it that way, but he, he's always stopping, healing them, teaching them. And yeah, I mean, how better way to be an example than doing that exactly. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's just, it's so cool to see, but like it has it's in my life. I'm like, Oh, like I know I need to be somewhere, but God's telling me to go pray for this person. I'm like, okay, so it's stop. And, right. you know, it's that one moment that has changed the way that I see God working, you know? Yeah. Do you guys have a story of something that you've seen God do while you're on a mission trip? So I have one specifically that um, it was on my very first mission. Like I said, I went to Uganda. Uh, I was 14. Um, we had maybe five interpreters. So most people paired off, but for some reason, I don't I don't know. I think back to this. I'm like, this is not very safe, but they sent me and this interpreter, this guy off by ourselves. We were going off into the bush to go just evangelize to people in the village. Our whole when you were 14, I was 14. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So crazy. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, maybe I had someone with me and I'm just not remembering right, but I'm pretty sure I was by myself. Yeah. Anyway, um, we had a church building, like the actual building, but our purpose there was to go out, evangelize, and tell people to come to the church. Like, hey, there's a church in your neighborhood. Here's where you can go and learn about Christ. So we were just presenting the gospel. We literally had those, like, paper tracks. Um, and they were in English on one side and then their language on the other side. So I was just, like, this little 14-year-old girl. I've never shared the gospel before. And I, like, had this little book. And I'm walking up to people and reading word for word. Like, that is how I'm evangelizing. And I'm like, God, how are you going to use this? I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and the first lady I walk up to, I read it word for word. He interprets it. And she's like, yes, I want to accept Christ. And I'm like, oh, 
let's pray. And then we prayed and I was like, here's this church. You can come here on Sunday. We'll introduce you to the pastor. Like just fireworks. So crazy. Yeah. And then, um, the second lady, so I'm just on this high, the second lady we go to, um, we walk down this little path, um, and she sees us from a distance and she runs and gets her chairs and sets them up. And I go and sit down with her and I pull out the track. And before I can even say a word, um, she's like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, oh, great. She's about to say, like, get away from me. I don't, like, I don't want anything to do with Christ. And I'm, like, really nervous what's about to happen. I've heard about witch doctors and all this stuff. So I'm like, oh, no. Um, and she starts just talking, like, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, I have no idea what she's saying. My yeah. interpreter's listening. And he looks to me and he says, so she knows the book that's in your hand, that someone came to her a couple years ago, presented this book to her, and she's been thinking about it. But she didn't. She wasn't ready to accept Christ then. But now she's like, I want to, but I don't know how. Just I know what to do. Like I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And she's like, presented, literally said the whole book. I believe that you know he came. He was a perfect man. That he died on the cross. Like she was saying all the gospel. And she's like, but how do I? How do I accept Christ? I, that's all I want to do. And I was like, wow. Well, this is what you do. And I like led her through this prayer. And I talked to her about you know what her relationship with Christ is and. From there, she accepted Christ. She was so excited. And I went home and just praying about that moment and just reflecting and, you know, praising God for that moment. And he showed me this verse in the Bible that talks about how um, some plant the seed and some water, but God's the one that makes it grow. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like how important is it for us to go and do the part that God has called us to do? Because the person that went before me, might have felt like defeated you know they went there they shared the gospel she's like no I'm not ready and so they felt defeated but then I got to go and I got to water that seed that that person planted and then watch God make it grow and it was just like wow like we really all do have a part in God's plan to bring these people to Christ or to, to share Christ with people and so anyways to see that at 14 was like I was blown away yeah, that's really awesome. What a way to start at 14 years old. I mean, no wonder you want to keep going with missions. Like, how awesome is that? Yeah, God, God did works. so many crazy things that trip. There was um, some of us, there was another one of my friends who was 14, and he, um, 14 as well, I think maybe 15, and he got to see them pray over a demon possessed man. Wow. Like, like, pray over him, demon left, and like, he got up and was like walking normally. Yeah crazy crazy stuff that happens right how do you think short-term missions impacts long-term impact in those countries after we leave so this one i think is is has been my heart for missions in general just since i was young um because i've just always been a thinker and an analyzer um and i'm like you know how you can make a big impact in two weeks but then you go home and you leave them there and what are you really leaving them with and so um i think i mean there's a lot of great short-term missions or mission teams that go and do great things in two weeks you know they do wells or those kind of things that can last for a long time um but something i really appreciated about go we love um and hopefully we'll be able to find another mission organization that does this as well but um they always partnered up with a on-the-ground long-term mission organization yeah. Um, because it's like you're sending laborers, but there's also people who are there on the ground who understand the need, who understand the culture, and who are able to take you in, give you this quick little orientation of what's going on, and then just hit the ground running where they're already working and already So you know that when you leave, you're not just leaving those people and they're never going to get, you know, helped again, or they're never going to, you know, be ministered to again. It's that you've gone and done your part of that bigger picture. And so, um, yeah, I just think that's the cool thing about short term is that, you know, not everybody can devote their whole life to go and move somewhere and, yeah. and be, you know, in a different country. Um, you know, even though I know missions are here too and everything, but, um, like not everyone can just go and be international. Um, but I feel like, this is just my personal conviction. I feel like everyone can give a week of their life, you know? Right. And, and I don't know. I just think it's, it's important. It's important to see what happens, um, 
you know, over there, what happens in a different country. Um, because again, it's just like, you get out of your own head, you get out of your own comfort zone yeah. and, um, and God, it just opens your eyes to, to see God in a new way too. Cause you're like, wow, like he created us all in his image. So look at all these people and they reflect God too in a different way that I've seen every day in America. You right. Know? Yeah, that's what I really like about Go Be Love because it helps the orphanages and the organizations that are in those countries sustain themselves better. And also, they're bringing in a set of a new team like several times a year. So then those people start donating and contributing financially, and it really helps that part of the long term as well, I think, financially to help them sustain. As well as I know, like when we went to Haiti, you know, we painted the wall and we organized things, and there were some labor things that we, necessities that we did. And each trip, Kelly, Kelly has work for each trip to help her, you know, continue um, so yeah, I really like that about Go Be Loved too, because it really helps those organizations on the ground to sustain, sustain themselves a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially just providing them with a little bit of community as well, especially if people get to come back, you know, more than once. Right. It's like, oh, like you're not getting, you're actually getting to see someone that you know, which, you know, when you live in a different country, it's hard to have community with people who kind of understand your culture. Right. And your culture a little bit better. So, right. Yeah, no, I think it's cool to see. So, you know, you never know what to expect on the short term, seven day, 10 day trip. Right. Right. Um, you know, nothing will really prepare you for what's actually going to happen. Um, and I think I look back now on, on, especially like one of the first trips and just the relationships that you build with people that you don't notice. So um, like, for instance, one of the cooks, at the school, you know, they'd make all the meals and yeah. it could be, um, there was a little moment where, um, I was doing something silly. I was doing like a, like a washing machine dance, I guess is what you would, what you would call it. I don't even know what to call it. Um, in perfect dad form. And the ladies were laughing. The other cooks were laughing. And, um, a couple of years later when we came back and we saw the same cook, she gave me a huge hug and she was laughing and kind of did the dance, you know, that I did years ago. Yeah. And just being able to take one little moment from, you know, three years earlier and revisit it with the same people in the same place, you know, and not really even thinking anything of it at the time that it happened. Um, but just those things like can show you like, yeah, you only have a week with them, but it's a week that they'll remember for the rest of their life. And so um, just having a, having a mentality that that short term goes long term. Uh, could possibly go long term. Right. It's, it's really neat um, being able to see this other side of it. You know. Now a washing machine dance is that like you're putting the detergent in, spinning it, like, or is it what is that exactly? Can you demonstrate? I don't remember what it looks like? I really don't remember what it looks like, but I can remember her I doing it. Was like, some kind of like a yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> It was just the, like, this, the moving of the washing machine. Yeah, and maybe the noise, too. Maybe it came with the noise. I'm not sure, but yeah. they enjoyed it. It was good for a laugh, and they remembered it. So, yeah, that's going down in the books. Yeah. I've never heard of that one. I mean, I've heard, like, the lawnmower. Like, at weddings, you know, you go and you do the lawnmower, and then there's, like, the sprinkler or something like that. Um, yeah, that. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you're grabbing from the grocery cart. Or from the shelves, yeah. So yeah, the washing machine is not a thing, but you know what? I made it a thing. And well, now we could just do this at weddings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and make the noise. Pass it along. He's gonna start the new dance. Right. Started right. Next wedding I go to, COVID nineteen style. Got my mask on, doing my yes. washing machine. Washing <laughs> machine. Yeah, there you go. Right. The very safe social distance dance. No one right. has to be near you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've kind of hit the the no wedding stage right now because I just turned 39 last week. So I'm getting up there. But um, like all of my like I'm in between stages. I mean, I would like to be married. So hopefully the next wedding is mine. But all of my friends have been married for like 10 or 20 years. And then my one friend's daughter got married a couple years ago. She's she was 20 at that time. So there's like no weddings. I mean, we, in my family, all my cousins are married. So someday I'll break out that dance, but I don't know at my oh, yeah. own wedding. Yeah. Maybe some 
quinceañeras. Do you know anyone had quinceañeras? Well, my sister-in-law had one in her family. They have them. So, I mean, if I go to Texas, when my nieces, I have two nieces, maybe uh, if they have one in Texas, like in 10, 15 years or something, they'll break that out. We have a lot of places to dance. And they do a mixture of country and hip hop. It's quite odd, but really fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's probably like a lot of like um, line dancing places and those kind of places. Yeah. That's the norm. That's the norm around here, line dancing. Yeah. You go to a bar or a bar. And and two stepping. Yes. Dancing place. Probably not during COVID. Yeah. They just got their masks on six feet apart during their two step. Yeah. One touch. So, how did you guys start leading a team with Go Be Love? So, when we came back on our first trip from Haiti, uh, they were recruiting team leaders, team members to take other teams. And um, Frank Pass, who was the leader of our first trip, he reached out and said, Hey, I think you guys have really good potential to lead a team. What would you think about doing this? Um, you know, of course we're like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, let's do it. Um, and then we started talking about where, where we would go. And of course, Haiti was the safest place because we've been there before and we knew what to expect. And, um, we knew Kelly, we knew we had some relationships in Haiti. So I think that that kind of gave us more of a confidence to step into that leadership role. Yeah. And then also I feel like we were really prepared, um, for our first trip as a couple, you know, as, as far as like the books that we read, the, the conversations we had, um, the organization really had a good, like good foundation for what to expect. And, and uh, so really knowing where we were going to be going, you know, kind of brought a lot of um, confidence in us. And so, yeah, so they asked us to lead a team. And I think within about two years, we, we took our first team to Haiti. Um, it was a team of six, yeah. seven, something like that. Wait, were they our first team or was... Frank, that was our first team to go with Frank. Oh, well, yeah. And then when we went back, had, yeah. It was, was it, wasn't it just... It was just three of us that time. Three of us. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, you told me about that, I think, on yeah. our trip. It, so it was a girl. That happened first, and then it was y'all. And then, that's right. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's hard to keep track. With, right. You go multiple times, they all kind of blend together. Yeah. But, yeah. And I think also, too, just, like, the logistics behind it being asked to lead, I think it's just, um, we kind of knew, um, and not in, like, a pompous way, but, like, the Lord had provided us with wisdom mm-hmm. of going. Um, and with like other people pouring wisdom into us. And so we just thought it'd be really neat to kind of be, um, step into that role and be able to, um, provide that for, for other people as well. And, um, when you lead, it's a very different experience because you're not really, you're going to serve still and serve right. people and culture and, you know, the community, but, um, your focus is more your team. And that's the coolest part. Cause it's like, you get to see these little seeds of like, oh, this is so cool. Or like, look what God did over here. And you just get to see that part from a different perspective, which is really fun um, to see, I guess, to be on the other side of that, to not only serve, but also get to lead people in serving and see them enjoy it and, you know, desire to go back again or, you know, those kind of things. And so it's kind of neat to be able to minister to a team also, like along with, but yeah yeah have you guys led a team like back home like a church home group or anything like that before no yeah not missions but we've led team like we've led home groups oh yeah we've led a home group we're actually doing that right now yeah oh okay that thing we led one back in midland um we co-led and then it got way too big and so we had to multiply that's the the positive word of splitting right um, and when we did it kind our group sort of just kind of fell apart for a couple of reasons which I think was a good learning experience for us it kind of also made us sort of like okay well let's move let's move to Dallas we don't have a group we don't have you know it's like mm-hmm. God was leading us that way but then now we've been able to leave here with a group uh, from our church and it's been awesome it's been weird with COVID are you meeting in your home now 
or are you doing virtual? Yeah, we're meeting. We did virtual for a little while when COVID was first started, kind of yeah. crazy. But then we have come to the consensus, at least for right now, that we're going to do girls meeting together and then guys meeting together just because it's a smaller group. Mm-hmm. And we're in like the home or we go to like Market Street or something like that or a park. And so far we've been doing that and that's been working. But yeah. we might transition. Our, our church is kind of telling us to transition our groups to meet on Sunday mornings for church and kind of have like a home church oh, versus a yeah, home yeah. group. And so it's kind of going to combine the two. So we'll see. I don't know. We might go that route too. Yes. So we are leading a home group right now. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like we're not because we're in isolation. Yeah. Right. Like a home group to me is like you have all the couples and kids all in one yeah. house running around food and, and noise chaos. food and it's chaos. And, you know, you're being interrupted every five minutes with a question or a kid having to go to the restroom. So that to me is like home group. And so the fact that we've been meeting like on a computer or through a screen on our phones and talking through group texts, Yeah, the church that I've been visiting is starting some in September. So I'm excited to get to know people and just get connected with the world again. So see other human beings. Exactly. I think that was the craziest part is we went from like doing a study, like we were not a study, but like we were really Bible and whatever. And then like the first couple weeks on virtual, we just literally were like, how's your life? Yeah. Like, that is what it turned into. Like, that's how we're going to minister. We're going to talk about life. We're going to pray together. Like, that's kind of like where we were. But it was just really neat to see that. Like, that is how we're going to minister right now. It's just weird. But, right. And you need to, you know, we need people, especially during times like this. Right. When you have led the teams in missions, how have you, I mean, I know from being part of the team that you've led, but how do you guys prepare the team? for cultural differences and everything that that entails? There's a lot that goes into it. For us, especially a lot of prayer, we did meetings, there's a lot of communication with as far as like preparing as best you can, as far as, you know, we're going to do PBS, the list of things we need to bring. But then I think the biggest way that you can prepare people is to let them know, be prepared to change or just be flexible. Yeah. Like, like our main like point because we were like we are going to prepare you as best we can we will tell you about the culture you know the food what we did um but every time we go it's going to be different and every time you know and every time we have one it's been different you know yeah. just things that we expected we expected to do um you know vbs and we expected to do something and just it's happened and it changed I think um, the book that we read, like Stephen had mentioned um, with Frank, I think that was a really good um, introduction to just think about not only culture, but just the spiritual differences in different cultures. You know how there's, um, like in Haiti, they have a lot of voodoo, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a big difference from America. We right. see that there's a heaviness on those people that we haven't experienced, and so we're coming in with this new new perspective, these new eyes on, um, you know, Christianity, but then also realizing these people are still under this heaviness. So kind of just, you know, preparing them in that way. But like I said, big point, be flexible. Yeah. Not go how you planned. Right. Number Um, one thing on a mission trip. Yeah. And then I think it's also, um, you know, it's a good time when you're meeting each other and stuff to kind of learn about people's strengths and their weaknesses so you can kind of see how the team's going to meld together. Um, like, oh, these people work well together. They both enjoy art or something like that. Um, and then you start to look for opportunities. Okay, so they're into this. They enjoy doing this. How can we serve with their passion or their strengths? Um, so you kind of try to think through those things so that you're prepared when you, when you hit the ground. Yeah. He's like, what do you want to do? We're like, I thought you were going to tell us. Right. <laughs> I think we had some things planned, but then it changed and we ended up helping with the kids for like a few days. Yeah. Yeah. So, was that, I'm trying to think if this was our trip, was, was our trip where we showed up and there was another group already there? No. Okay. So that's, that was Frank's group. Sorry. Never mind. But that was interesting. We showed up for a VBS. So that was the trip. We showed up for a VBS to, with the kids and there was already another group there doing BBS with the kids and we were like cool so what are we gonna do yeah 
And literally the first day we just like didn't do a whole lot. We just were around the house, mm-hmm. but like it was good for like, we all needed that rest and that yeah. like time to be with the Lord. And anyways, so never mind, that was a different trip. But that's, again, you show up, you're doing one thing and something else presents itself. Right. What have you learned while leading a trip or leading a team? What I've learned is that whenever people say God has gone before you, I think I kind of just knew that like, oh, cliche, like God's gone before you. Um, but it's so evident when you're out there um, serving people and getting dirty and change, you know, plans are changing or you don't know what you're going to eat. So you stop by the market and bread, peanut butter and you know, avocados and that's what you eat and, you know, just things like that. And so just being reminded that, you know, that God really has got before you, he really has planned things. Um, he is making connections and um, each and every person is there for a reason. Um, and it's just neat as far as like leading and getting to see those connections, you know, for example, like when Kelly had that wall and that she was like, I want y'all to paint this wall. Yeah. So, let's paint the wall, you know, like, oh, let's put some, you know, scripture on the wall. And when she wanted Stephen to minister to the guys and she was like, you go like hang out the guys and go eat ice cream or whatever y'all did, coffee or ice cream. And then, you know, me having my very, being very new in my lactation um, education, that woman showing up and she was yeah. like, I'm getting at my baby. And we were like, why? She's like, I can't feed her. And she was like, Megan, teach her how to feed her baby. And I'm like, okay. And then, you know, just seeing how God knew that was going to happen. He knew right. I was going to be there. He knew this lady couldn't handle it. But then just being able to take her in and show her how to feed her baby. And that was all she needed. Now she's like, okay, I can't take care of my baby or take care of my baby. So just seeing like truly how God has gone before he, you know, he is beside you. He's before you, he's behind you. He's, you know, mm-hmm. he's everything and he, he's working everything for his glory and you know, for our good. Yeah, I think one thing that's important that I learned um, on our first trip in Haiti is, you know, as as white people, we really stick out, you know, especially in a place like Haiti where right. people are very dark skinned. And so um, and so part of that, in my mind, I feel like they know why we're there. You know, I think mm-hmm. they know we're there for some sort of like missionary aspect. You know, what's that look like? And so um, I think being aware that they know why we're there kind of gives you like you hold yourself to a little bit of a higher standard, right? You don't want to get mad at one of your teammates while you're out on the field and start an argument. You want to see yeah. people looking at you like, oh, what's going on? So I feel like in a way you always have to be on your A game, you know, whatever that looks like, but um, to let them know that you're there for a reason and you're there to be Jesus. And, um, you know, so I think, I think, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Basically, like, being very aware of where you're at, who's looking at you, you know, what you're doing, um, being mindful that everything you do is being looked at like like a child looks at a dad, you know. Um, and so making sure, like, you're opening the door for girls or if you see something that's not right, trying to get involved and, and make things right and kind of being, like, a peacemaker. And yeah, well, it's just like you guys represent they know why you're there, so you're the representation of Christ. Right. So when you are acting, you want them to see that and say, like, oh, like, this is what Christ is. Or, you know, especially if some people have a dislike for Americans. Yeah. You've seen that before. So right. just to kind of give them any perspective of, no, we want it, we're not here to just, you know, come in and save you or do it, but we're here to serve you and to love you and maybe change your perspective. But, yeah. How do you feel that you've grown? doing missions just every single mission that i've been on the lord has used it in my life for a specific purpose a specific reason i i mean I, I, again as cliche cliche as it sounds i just every single time i've grown closer to the lord in my time with the, with him in the word or just in my understanding of who he is this immeasurable unknowing infinite god where he literally you could study him forever and never know all about him and it's right. like, Every single time I'm like, oh, God's like this, or, you know, God loves me like this, or he cares for this person like this, or, you know, he has a heart for the broken, and and he wants me to have that heart too, and it's just, you know, just allowing God to show you different pieces of himself every time you go and you serve, or learn a new culture, or meet, you know, new people, or I think that's what's 
made me grow um, the most. And I think also is why since I've been 14, I have tried to get out of the country. It's been harder once you have kids, but yeah. um, you know, get out of the country and not COVID, but get out of the country as you know, at least once every couple of years, because when you stay here too long, at least me, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But my focus starts to shift back on first world problems or, you know, silly things that don't matter. And I start to become selfish again. And, you know, I don't, I don't share the gospel as, you know, as much anymore. I don't spend as much time in the word. And it's not just because I have to go somewhere else, but it's like that getting yourself out of your normal everyday life and going even just for a week to just be reminded, oh, no, like God is more important. And he is so much bigger than just my tiny little life that I'm living every day, you know? Yeah. Megan, when you started, when you went into nursing, did you have any thought that you would incorporate that with missions and serving in that capacity? So I don't think I initially thought that the way I went into nursing was very logical and nerdy, but I literally was like, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? And then I was like, what career is in that realm? Mm -hmm. And like nursing was there. So I was like, cool, I'm going to be a nurse. But it is funny how um, my first mission as a, I wasn't even a nurse yet. I was a pre-nursing student. So I'm like, I know things. And I'm like, yeah. no, I really don't. <laughs> um, it was a vision trip. And so we literally were, it was, um, we had an eye doctor with us and we were bringing this eye machine giving people glasses. And so but even on that tiny trip, people were like, oh, nurse, come here. Come, I'm so, look at this rash. Like, what can I do? I'm like, I don't know what pre-nursing student. Right. But it has, it's really fascinating to me to see where the Lord has um, used that part, just that knowledge. And sometimes it's such simple knowledge that I just take for granted. Like if you increase your salt intake, your blood pressure is going to go up too. Like yeah. simple things like that, which people don't have. And literally all I have to say is stop eating some salt or don't put MSG into your food. Mm-hmm. Like maybe those little tablets of MSG that they would put in their food yeah. um, and their blood pressure for crazy. But, um, yeah, I think it's been really interesting to see how the Lord has used that. Um, it's funny once you're a nurse, it's like you're a nurse to every single person you've ever met. Right. Even like a baby nurse, it's like, oh, let me help you with this adult problem, you know? And, yeah. um, and it's, uh, luckily I've had experience in lots of different areas, but it is just really funny. It's like, I can't go on a mission trip without doing something as a nurse. Yeah. Even my very first trip with Haiti and with Frank, um, we were just walking along the way. And again, Kelly was like, oh, wait, this small woman just had a C-section. Can you come clean her wound? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I haven't cleaned a wound in a long time. Right. In school. And so she was like, you know how to do this, right? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And so I had to just like do the best I could. But it's just so funny. She's like, you're a nurse. You know how to do this. Right. But it is. It's, I feel like it's an opportunity that, you know, that is huge. And I would silly to not you know use it for the glory of God in other areas originally growing up I thought I was going to start a hospital in a different country um but a different plan so far for me to stay here in America but I've still been able to use it and I think it's it's fascinating to see people at their most vulnerable and to step into that and be able to physically help but also use that to point back to like our great healer you know right like yeah healing your body a little bit right now, but like Jesus can come and heal your soul, like your eternal life. Yeah. Out of all of that, that was amazing what you said, but your one comment about MSGs, let me just sidetrack here for a second. I learned that that is why I was having migraines. And I, when I removed that stuff out of my food, they stopped. What? So it's crazy what they put in our food. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you don't even know it's there. That's the crazy. I know. Part. I had to. It was like process of elimination to figure out. And when I started kind of looking into it, and I started removing that kind of food, they stopped. I mean, I still a little bit, but yeah, they pretty much went away. So, anyways. So. You know, it's funny too because when I was there, when we were in the market, I literally took a picture because there was a bottle of like MSG that you can sprinkle on your food. That's crazy. Like, is this for, like, is this for real? Yeah. Like, you, you're sprinkling MSG, but I mean, it, 
enhances the flavor. And if you're eating rice and beans every day, you know, right. So why, but it's like, Oh my goodness, like just stop this one thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause soups, I, um, I learned that soups, that was like huge MSGs have, are in soups cause the, yeah, like the broth and stuff. Um, Steven, what do you do for work? Are you an accountant? I'm an accounting. Accounting. Okay. So Excel spreadsheets, all those kind of things are what I kind of thrive on. Numbers, math. Numbers, tinking with my five fingers. Yeah. Yep. I can ten key pretty good. I do not. I still type with like four fingers. It's terrible. I, I only know. type with my index fingers. I never learned the other way. Yes. So. Like, yeah. There's five. Right. Yeah. It's embarrassing whenever like a doctor is standing over you and you're like charting and you're like, let me look like I think I know what I'm typing. I know, but- right? Yeah. Has there been a trip where you utilized your gifts of numbers and math and things like that. So more on the business side, on the first trip we went on to Haiti, they were in the process of setting up a nonprofit and they had a lot of tax questions that came up. You know, how do you report tax? How do you right. utilize other things as a nonprofit? And so being able to use a little bit of an accounting background to explain like the business side to someone that didn't know anything about business was really cool. But that does bring up an interesting point. When you're preparing for a trip and you're like, well, I'm an accountant, my wife's a nurse, you know, really there's not much I can offer except for maybe being an assistant to my wife, and um, which I have multiple times, even so sometimes sorry. when I'm doing this, yeah. just tell me what to do. I'm looking yeah. away. Right. But it's been cool because, you know, not only do I get to serve her, I also get to see where kind of she comes alive, where she's thriving and doing things, you know, mm-hmm. that that she's like, oh, this is awesome. This is so cool. And being able to support her in that kind of role has been neat. Like as an accountant, what can I go bring to a third world, third world country, you know, that they don't need numbers. They don't need me to help them with their checkbook. Right. Yeah. Uh, they need relationships. They need people to share the gospel and share wisdom. And so trying to find little ways where I can kind of insert some of the gifts and talents that God's given me um, outside of accounting is really cool because you never know what you're going to be doing. Right. Yeah. Why is it important to be mission minded and serve our local community? So I think it's, it's really important. I think to serve our local community, especially if we're just going on short term missions, because if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you are a missionary. You are someone who is to bring the gospel. You're supposed to make disciples. That's what Christ is called right. to do. It. And that's one eight is kind of the one that, that always comes to my head because it talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So, you know, Jerusalem was that town right around them. I'm not geological, so if I get this wrong, don't hold me to it. But Jerusalem was that town, you know, where they were. It was right. It was a state, I don't know, city state. <laughs> Terrible, as I told you. I mean, I don't know either, so I'm just going with it. <laughs> Anyways, um, so it was where they were. Like, they were in Jerusalem. So, like, their neighbors, that's who they need to start with. Yeah. And Judea and Samaria were right next door, like, bordered Jerusalem. There we go. I've seen a map. Okay, I've seen a map. I know what I've seen, yes. (laughs) And so they bordered them. So it's kind of like, okay, so the next country or, like, or the next city, whatever, that's right next to you. So maybe friends of friends or, you know, going to somewhere within the United States. Um, somewhere that borders you or something and then it was the end of the earth so obviously international missions so I think I've always seen that as like every day I want my I want my life to reflect Christ I want my life to be on mission anywhere that I am wherever God calls me and be able to share the gospel at any moment which I think going back to your preparing a team um, I think that's something that's really important as far as preparing a team is like hey when someone, you know, when you have 10 minutes with the person, you have to share the gospel. Like, how are you going to share the gospel with them? Which I know is kind of scary in the moment sometimes if you've never shared your faith. Yeah. Um, being simple and easy tools, this is how you can share the gospel. Or this is how you can share your testimony in three minutes. You know, if someone comes right. up to you. So I think those are tools that not only you can use over there, but I think something that is really neat is that people feel like, 
in America, before you tell someone about Christ or you present the gospel, you have to know them, like get to know them really well, spend right. lots of time with them. They have to get to know you. Build relationship. Right. But then it's like you go overseas and you have five minutes with this person on a bus and yeah. God's like, share the gospel. You're like, cool, okay, here's the gospel. And they're like, awesome. So it's funny how we have this difference of mentality where, you know, we feel like we have to be in this relationship, but sometimes God's like, no, like this person, I've been preparing them for two years to hear from you right now. Go talk to them. Yeah. So just kind of having that, that, that mentality of, you know, God is working everywhere around you and he might call you to do something missional, you know, next door. Did you have anything else to add on that with why it's important or how to use our desire to impact lives in the workplace with our coworkers or patients or clients? Sometimes I think, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like sharing Christ with your coworkers sometimes is kind of hard because they're kind of like family. They're yeah, they see you every day and they know all your flaws. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They know your weaknesses, especially your boss. Like, right. Right. And so it's, I think sometimes it, it is kind of scary to step out because then you're like, oh, the first time I say like, where do you go to church or how can I pray for you? They're going to be like, oh, the Christian girl. Like, right. Great. Um, and so it does, it like changes your relationship hundred percent, like in that moment, unless they're like, oh, I'm going to church here. And you're like, oh, cool. We can relate. Like I get it. Like oof, we're on the same page. We're good. To me, it's really just made me have to have more intentional conversations with my coworkers that might not, again, you know, kind of going against what I said, but not in a, still kind of tied in. I might not just like come out with the gospel in a second um, because I want to continue a work relationship with them, but right. also I want them to know Christ. And so it's more like, hey, tell me about your life. Like, how are your kids? How is your family? What's going on? Like, what's been hard? Um, you know, what do you do when it's really hard? Um, and then, you know, oh, we just stress all the time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, when I stress, and then you talk about, I, I pray, or, you know, I read the Bible and go to church. I talk with my own group and just kind of starting slower there and like at least let them know where you stand without being pushy and then just see where the Lord goes from there. You know, there's been times I had a a little story one time I uh, worked in adult ICU and there was a um, receptionist. She's out at the desk and um, right. I don't remember when it was. It was right before I left. I was there for a year and um, we were just talking and I said something about like, man, I just love how God works. Something like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You're Mormon, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I must have not been very clear about where I stand. Right. Usually, like, she's like, I just thought you were Mormon because you're so nice all the time. And I was like, wow, like I must have really missed an opportunity there. And so I talked to her. I'm like, no, I'm not Mormon. Like, I believe in Jesus Christ. I know it's very similar, but right. Um, so again, it's kind of like I, I had assumed that I was I was sharing the gospel and I assumed I knew I was a Christian, but sometimes you gotta say with your words too and not just be nice all the time. Yeah, I think also being being a of Christ follower in the workplace, you know, I feel like it's really easy for us to stand out sometimes, especially when you're in like a close close group of people, you know, like not participating in gossip or not, you know, making the right decisions when it comes down to when it matters the most, you know, and I, th- I think you do those things, you kind of layer them on top of each other. Um, and just doing that right there is being a good witness, right? right. Um, you know, always being that person that people can come to, you knowing that you're going to make the right decision or do the right thing. You know, I think taking that calling to work is is really what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm actually reading a couple of books now about work because I'm going through this little season of like trying to figure out what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. I like a midlife crisis kind of thing where it's like, I don't really like what I do. I want to do something different. What do I need to do? And so I've been really trying to tap into like what, why did God create us to work, you know, right. or, or what are we supposed to do? Yeah. Um, and so reading these different books and getting like Tim Keller is one of the authors of the book. And I'm reading that. Um, are you every reading? good ending every ever. Good. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm slowly reading it. Yes. Well, you're probably further down. I'm in chapter like three or four, but well, that's yeah, um, there too. how you talk about how it talks about like God designed us to work kind of as a punishment for our sin, right? Mm-hmm. The tools and the, and the labor and right. everything is is punishment for you know basically from adam and eve and and 
So how do we navigate that? And um, what's our, how do we live out our calling? And, and it's interesting how kind of the wheels start turning when you bring the gospel into the workplace and, yeah. and represent the gospel. How do I share the gospel without saying anything about the gospel? You know, especially in a world where we're not allowed to, or, um, you know, like she said, we, they look differently at us because we tried to share the gospel. You know, how do you really do that? So wasn't it St. Francis that said, um, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Yeah. 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 I think that maybe think too. So with our patients, well, obviously my patients are tiny babies, so can't really share the gospel with them, but I can pray for them. Yeah. But like families and stuff, like we, um, as a policy, we're not supposed to just like share your faith with patients and their families, especially when you're representing a company that doesn't have a stance on religion or whatever. Um, so that has been kind of a challenge, but I do, I do the same thing though. I still kind of say like, Hey, or like, I don't know. My life has been really crazy too. So I'll ask you about your life or whatever. Well, it's been crazy too, but I mean, I God has just been so good. Like I just say that kind of stuff. Cause that's not me. That's my faith. Right. I'm not pushing it on you. And I think that kind of opens the doors. I've had patients just like, Hey, can you just pray for me or just pray for my family or whatever. And so not, not in the hospital, but I'm like, yes, I will pray for you, you know, for as long as I, you know, if God has me pray for you, I'll just keep praying. And so, um, opportunities like that, but, um, it is interesting when you're not like physically allowed to say, let me tell you the gospel when you're saving babies' lives. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you guys live in the Bible Belt? Yeah. Okay. So everyone's a Christian. There's church. There's more churches than banks. Uh, we used to say so Midland I used to call Midland the belt buckle of the Bible belt because it, it, it's like the center knows about God everyone knows about Christianity yeah. kind of that thing like we know so we both grew up in that in West Texas and then we moved to Dallas and the Metroplex is kind of like one of the most diverse places you know where we have people from all nations okay. and and you know, there's there's a small population of Christians. There's a small population of Muslims. There's a small population of Mormons. I mean, you just there's a there's a small population of atheists. I mean, you really never know who you're around, and yeah. it's completely different. And a culture shock. You know, when you get into a work environment, and you're like, oh my goodness, who are these people that I work with? Like, this is one of the most like horrible places. You know, you're reminded that hey, I'm in the world, right? You know, I'm up to a higher standard. Let's go. You know, let's let's get to work. Let's mm-hmm. let's be the change. Be, right. be different. Right. It's interesting. That reminded me of what I was going to say about um, the community question. What was it? Uh, I don't know. Serve our local community. Yes, serving our local community. Because I was going to say that about Dallas. You remind me of this. So Dallas is like very diverse. We have a lot of refugees. We have a lot of um, just because it's a hub, it's a metroplex. A lot of people come here from different countries to go to school or do other things. And so um, something that the Lord has showed me recently um, too, or just within the last couple of years is that we don't have to go internationally to mm-hmm. impact different cultures because these people might be here, but they have family back home, right. you know, wherever they're from. And so if you get to reach this person, um, they can go and share with their family back home. And so you have effectively talk to someone in a different country, you know, yeah. like you've shared the gospel through someone. To different, it's just really neat how even in your community, you can still be international minded. Yeah. You guys probably have one of the most, you're probably in one of the most diverse cities in America. I would think probably one of the top 10 or something. Our first apartment was like what? 80% Indian. Yeah. Okay. It was fascinating. We're just like, Whoa, like this is, yeah. we are minorities. Like this is so interesting. Right. Uh, one interesting little tidbit about Indians in the Metroplex is that they come alive at night. Yeah. And so as we're getting, at the time we had two boys, we had two young kids, uh, we'd be getting them in bed at the time that a lot of them would be coming up and kind of going out for the night to go to yeah, work. And they're kids. So these little bitty kids are like walking around the apartment complex, yelling, playing tag and stuff. It's like 945, oh. 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And we're like, we're trying to go to sleep. Like, we're winding down. Y'all are getting started. Right. Like, they're having 
chit chats in the hallway, you know, in the breezeways as loud as they can, and and they're just in their own little world. And and it always uh, smells really good though. Their food, it smells delicious. So good. Yeah. Non fresh non. I was like, oh my goodness, we need to make friends with these people. Right. Can you please make me dinner one night? I'll just come to your apartment. Yeah. The Metroplex, is that an apartment complex that you live in or what's the Metroplex? So the Metroplex is Dallas Fort Worth. Oh, okay. Like the Met- metropolitan area. Yeah. Uh, okay. Oh wait, I was gonna ask you, Megan, to share your story about the driver's license that you did not take to the airport. Oh goodness, yes. <laughs> so I am a quite a last-minute packer. Even though I've been on a million missions, I always pack the last minute. I'm also terrible at taking my wallet with me anywhere. <laughs> so, Stephen and I were living in Midland at the time, and but we had it was cheaper to fly out of Dallas versus Midland because Midland's a tiny place. So we had to drive to Dallas, Stephen and I. We packed all our bags and everything we had drove to Dallas. We get up the next morning early to go catch our flight and we get inside and we have our tickets and everything. And Steven's like, okay, so you're going to need your ticket and your license. And I'm like, cool. So I go look at my bag and I'm like, I do not have my license or my passport. And we're about to fly to Haiti. Like how is this going to happen? Um, and Steven, of course, so kind, but he's like, what are we going to do? I don't even know. And I'm like, I don't know. Let's call my dad. And so we called him. It was what, like five in the morning? It was really early. I called my dad. No, he drove to our house. He got pictures of them and sent them to me. And then he ran to the mail and whenever they opened, I don't know what time, and he overnighted it to us. It, no, he overnighted it to us in Haiti. He had to get the address in Haiti, right? Nashville. Nashville, sorry, because we stopped in Nashville. So we overnight it to Nashville. Um, but obviously I still had to catch my flight, right, from Dallas to Nashville. So I just go and start telling them what happened. The lady, she's like, the first person's like, I'm sorry, like it's not gonna work out, you're not gonna catch your flight. I'm like, I have to catch my flight. Like, we are leading a trip to Haiti, I've gotta be there. Um, so I ended up going back, talking to another person. She was like, girl, I'm going to get you in. Like, we're going to, you get on that flight. I'm like, okay. So she goes and talks to someone else. I um, think her comment was, we're going to have to call Obama, but we're going to do it. Yeah, that is exactly what she said. We'll have to, if you have to talk to Obama, we will get you on that flight. I'm like, okay. So she talked to someone else. We talked to someone else. We got me to the front of the line. And then I don't even know who I talked to, but they were like, they want you on the phone. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I answer the phone and they're like, this is Washington, D.C. There's someone from Washington, D.C. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so bad. Wow, that's intense. And, oh, it was so intense. And then they started asking me questions about my life. Like very particular. Like, what is your oldest brother's birthday? What was your first car? Like the model of your first car that you bought or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. I don't even know if I'm going to know these answers. And they're going to think I'm lying, but like, right. I need to know these, your dad's middle name, like all of these things. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I'm telling them these things. And then he was like, okay, well, we're going to let you pass, but you cannot get past Nashville to Haiti. So I was like, okay. So I literally grabbed my stuff and I like ran to the um, terminal. And as I got there, I don't know if you would ask them to hold it or something, but like people are still standing there and I'm like, <laughs> like running really hard. And then they're like, you're good. Slow down. You're good. We, we held it for you. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> but needless to say, I've tried to get better at keeping my license with me. And I have yet to not bring a passport with me again. I also did this in Uganda before I went to Uganda. Not my passport. I forgot my shot record card that you have to have. Oh, yeah. And my dad was like, how could you forget that? I'm like, it's at home. So so not the first time. Right. And your dad comes to the rescue. Exactly. And now I have friends in Washington, D.C. So we're you know, there is a, I think you've probably seen this in Haiti. One of your questions was, what's the most memorable story 
on a trip yeah. or during your travel. And there is, if you'll remember this, in Haiti, there's a well at the school ground yes. that they drilled on. It was actually, they drilled time of our first trip. Okay, so the very first time we went to Haiti, we were down at the site and kind of looking at everything going on. They were roping everything off and they were about to drill this well and everything. And a local comes walking up. He had been drinking and he was carrying a handgun and kind of like waving it around and, and doing all this. And, and he was upset because where they were drilling the well was apparently on his family's land. It wasn't on the school ground. It was like some kind of confusion about where they were placing it or whatever. Yeah. So he starts waving this gun around and, uh, it's a bunch of Haitians and then me and our trip leader and we're just kind of standing there going oh my goodness what wow he has a gun like and he's kind of waving it around so we're freaking out and and um, anyway he didn't do anything thankfully but that night the trip leader was talking about how important it is to when things come about like when things happen to look at the locals and look at the people you're with and so the guy that we were with Johnny he was actually laughing the whole time laughing at this guy that's about to kill us all and so just seeing him laugh kind of made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. What was funny is about later, I come back to the same well because we were setting up hand washing stations at the school and we needed some water. And so I had gone down to fetch a pail of water from the well and I had a bar of soap with me. And this lady walks up and she's completely topless, right? So she walks up and I notice her out of the corner of my eye and I kind of look down and I'm like, I'm not going to make eye contact. I can't do this. So I keep on, you know, getting the water and then Jean-Claire, one of the little boys comes up and he's like, hey, look, she's basically like, hey, she's trying to talk to you. But he's talking to me in Haitian. She's talking to me in Haitian and I don't understand what they're saying. And, but I can't look at her, right? So I'm doing this yeah. the whole time and, and basically what, what she wanted the soap that I had so that she could wash. And I'm like, I, I can't, I can't give it to you. So I, I literally asking you to wash her back. Oh no, she didn't ask me to wash her. That'd be totally different. But yeah. she's asking me for the bar and soap, and I'm like, no, I got to get back up to the school. So anyway, I walk away, and needless to say, on the third trip, I didn't even go by the well. I didn't touch it. Mr. Rick actually uses that in a lot of his uh, trip preparation. He uses my story about when things can go really yeah. wrong, how to handle the situation. <laughs> <laughs>